Good morning from Fast Company. Here's our daily look into what's driving today's creative business leaders. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning from Fast Company. Here's our daily look into what's driving today's creative business leaders. In 2020, it was estimated that as many as 40 million people in the United States were at risk of being evicted from their homes because of the pandemic. Most recent census data suggests that 12 million adult renters are still behind on their rent. As early pandemic eviction moratoriums came and went, housing activists organized in-person protests, coordinated rent strikes, and hosted online forums. One common refrain and meme among politically active renters, being a landlord is not a job. Meanwhile, real estate executives argued that landlords are working-class people too, property owners made impassioned pleas for sympathy, and some landlords complained that they couldn't collect unemployment like their renters could. Being a landlord is not technically considered an occupation by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and though most people may agree that being a property manager or a real estate agent is a job, many landlords are neither property managers nor real estate agents. At its definition, landlord is a title that involves generating passive income through ownership rather than labor. But this is not curbing interest in the landlord profession. Today, a generation of young people aspire to become landlords, not in spite of the fact that it may not be a job, but because of it. Regardless of what background you come from, you should, you should get into real estate, says Garrett Ramella, a 27-year-old former Marine from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who owns four investment properties. Landlords and the Housing Crisis According to Harvard University's 2022 State of the Nation's Housing Report, U.S. rents have risen 12% in the past year, and home prices have risen 20.6%, the largest jump in three decades of record-keeping. These rising costs and a limited supply has created a housing crisis. Individuals and institutions buying homes as investments, rather than a place to live, has exacerbated this crisis. Adding to the pressures on prices, investors moved aggressively into the single-family market over the past year, buying up moderately priced homes either to convert to rental or upgrade for resale. 
reads the Harvard report, stating that investors bought up 28% of single-family homes sold in the first quarter of 2022. The year before, this figure was closer to 19% and historically hovered around 16%. This dynamic means many hopeful first-time homeowners are priced out of the market, and many renters are being pushed into poverty. Aniqua Lewis has lived in Section 8 housing, which accepts federal housing vouchers provided to low-income renters on Roosevelt Island in New York City since 1989. A former construction worker and a current daycare owner, Lewis says she has seen firsthand how investment properties hurt working families. There has been a tremendous amount of gentrification, she says. Investors in market-rate buildings have a major impact on people who live in the outer boroughs, and it's violent. Lewis says she became involved in her tenants' association because her building's property management company was not making necessary repairs, was not sweeping hallways, and was not taking out the trash. She says being a landlord should be a job that involves responding to the needs and requests of tenants, but that many landlords avoid doing work and that large investors hide behind the anonymity of property management companies. Lewis adds that her sister owns a house that she rents out. I get it. It's hard, she says but you need to be transparent and accountable. The Landlord Spectrum Robert Silverman is a professor at the University of Buffalo who studies affordable housing. He stresses that not all landlords are the same and can range from small mom-and-pop landlords to massive real estate investment trusts, known as REITs, such as private equity firms. How much work being a landlord requires may depend where a given landlord falls on the spectrum, he says. For some very small mom-and-pop landlords, it is one of their jobs initially, but those folks probably incrementally acquire more properties and become full-time landlords, says Silverman. For the larger institutional investors, their properties are part of large portfolios where the day-to-day maintenance and tenant issues are addressed by management companies that are subsidiaries of the parent company or subcontracted by them. They are set up to do things at scale and their portfolios are professionally managed. Silverman suggests that REITs may cause more harm to renters than smaller individual landlords, in part because they are more removed from the communities they own and because they often intentionally drive up the cost of housing. The presence of the REITs has raised concerns about pressure to increase rents in order to deliver returns on investment, as well as taking more homes off the market for purchasers and driving up the cost of housing in both rental and mortgage markets, he says. Sia Weaver, a campaign coordinator at the nonprofit organization Housing Justice for All, adds that small landlords can also hurt renters. They're bad in different ways. One thing we observe and our work is that larger landlords tend to pursue eviction more aggressively, and smaller landlords tend to make way worse repairs, says Weaver. Whether it's a small landlord or a big landlord, it's an inherently exploitative relationship where one side has all the power. Angela Lee Stovall, research and policy manager at JustFix, a nonprofit that builds free tools for tenants to raise housing concerns, such as requesting repairs or reporting harassment, stresses that in major cities like New York, so called mom and pop landlords are uncommon. JustFix has found that 89% of units in New York are owned by corporations. Landlords, along with the lobbyists and politicians that distort the reality of the New York City real estate market, will attempt to quash tenant power by perpetuating the myth of the mom-and-pop landlord, says Stovall. Corporations systematize processes to best suit renters with the most capital, power, and privilege. Evictions become mechanized with boilerplate petitions, automated debt collection notices, and swift court proceedings, enforcing violent displacement and exacerbating existing systems of inequality and oppression.
The Promise of Passive Income The promise of hands-off passive income is something that drew Todd Baldwin, 30, to real estate. Baldwin says he grew up poor in Barstow, California, and that he understands why landlords have a bad reputation, but still chose to become one because he believes it is the best way for him to build a comfortable life for his family. Today, Baldwin owns five properties and leases rooms to about 40 tenants. We never had any money growing up, and it was always terrifying. I remember thinking, I need to make millions of dollars, he says. I was able to make a million dollars tax-free last year. Baldwin and his now wife bought their first house in December 2015. The couple lived in the primary bedroom and rented out the other rooms to college friends to cover the mortgage. Nine months later, they were able to buy a second property. Their portfolio grew from there. While Baldwin says finding renters, hiring a cleaner, and furnishing properties can take time, being a landlord is ultimately not a job. The richest people in the world own companies or assets or investments that pay them, says Baldwin. Why would you take on $80,000 of student loan debt to get an entry-level job for $40,000 a year when there are assholes like me making a couple million bucks and paying fewer taxes than you? He continues, it's not because I'm evil and greedy, I'm following the law. Baldwin says he is grateful he could retire at the age of 28 and that he would rather spend time with his wife and his five-month-old son. If you have a job, what you're doing is you're making passive income for somebody else, he says. In the past, people who know the game have hired me to create passive income for them. Now I want to create passive income for myself, and wealthy people don't have jobs. Real Estate Investing Influencers Baldwin also creates content for interested real estate investors on YouTube. He publishes videos with titles like How to Find Tenants for Your House Hacking Business and Four Reasons Why I Never Raise the Rent. In my financial learning journey, what I've learned is that the game is rigged in favor of the wealthy, says Baldwin. But as one man, I can't change that. All I can do is learn the game and use it to my advantage and teach people how to do the same thing that I'm doing. One common topic is how to take advantage of capital gains taxes. When you understand the tax code, you understand that having a job is the worst way to make money, argues Baldwin. Because first of all, a job takes 40 or 50 hours a week, and on earned income, you're going to pay the highest tax rate of up to 40%. In federal taxes, with capital gains, you're going to pay up to 20%. Given the depreciation that someone can realize and the deductions that you're allowed to take off of the rental property, the benefits are so great, echoes Ramella, the 27-year-old former Marine. Plus, the cost of borrowing is much cheaper for something like real estate, as opposed to trying to go out and get a business loan or going out and trying to get even a student loan. In these ways, landlords like Baldwin and Ramella say the system privileges those who are fortunate enough to have passive incomes, rather than those who support themselves with just a 9-to-5 job. Unlike Baldwin, Ramella does still work a traditional 9-to-5 job. He now lives in Maryland and works for a national security government contractor. But when it comes to his real estate portfolio, I don't feel pressure to meet a deadline and I don't feel like my boss was telling me what to do, says Ramella. It just feels like, hey, if I do this, then at one point in the future I will probably have a decent financial life that could benefit me and my family. A New Perspective on Work Nearly half a million people follow Vincent Chan, 27, on YouTube for his personal finance advice. He says his interest in personal finance was inspired by his immigrant parents. Born and raised in Queens, New York, Chan earned a bachelor's degree in economics from Vanderbilt University and jumped into a career in finance. He landed an internship at Bank of America and a first job at BNP Paribas. But everything I was doing was helping the wealthy get even wealthier, he says. 
Chan quit his job and began focusing on publishing videos full-time across YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. After two years of this work, he says the topic he gets the most questions about is real estate, especially from Gen Zers and millennials interested in being landlords. According to Zillow's 2021 Consumer Home Trends report, 42% of Gen Z and millennial homebuyers say the opportunity to rent out their entire home in the future to produce rental income is very or extremely important, compared to just 34% of homebuyers across all generations. Meanwhile, many workers are becoming disenchanted with traditional work. The Workforce Institute surveyed 2,200 workers across 10 countries and found 45% of U.S. employees said they wouldn't wish my job on my worst enemy. Within my research, I have seen a shift in the quality of life people are working for, says Dr. Chris Mullen, executive director of the Workforce Institute. He says he is not surprised that young people are increasingly interested in earning passive income rather than working a traditional job. He points to the pandemic as a potential catalyst. During the pandemic, live-to-work shifted to work-to-live for many people, he says. It's a different way of thinking about work. Chan says there is definitely a tension among young people who are curious about real estate. There is one very capitalist side where they see real estate as a way to build generational wealth and passive income, he says. And on the other side is this sense that landlords may be exploiting tenants who are basically you giving you money to pay for your mortgage. Chan himself doesn't own any real estate but wants to and has started talking with real estate agents. But Chan says it's unlikely he will buy property in the community he has spent his life in. I don't think I can afford Queens, he says. Weaver stresses that the current capitalist system, rather than individuals like Chan, exacerbates the housing crisis most. I don't think that we're going to solve the crisis of capitalism, which is what the housing crisis is, based on individuals' personal consumptions and actions, says Weaver. That being said, once you become a landlord, you do personally become invested in maintaining the status quo. Your class interests change. That's all today from Fast Company. Talk to you tomorrow. Spoken Layer Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.